going to jump back into our series we've been in now for uh, the, the, the month of October, and uh, we it's a cultural series. We're we're calling it the Christ conflict, but we're we're looking at some of the ways that the enemy has infiltrated culture in different areas. Can't cover it all, but we're 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 we pick certain topics we believe God's led us to, and I believe that we're getting some help from um, just talking about these topics and seeing what the Bible says about uh, these cultural situations. I, you know, I, I was I was uh, in the lobby when everybody was getting here, and then uh, in the back, even during some of the worship, and I was looking around and I noticed that we, we we've got several twenty somethings in the room, and. My heart goes out to the 20-somethings, and let me tell you, tell you why. Um, you, you are in the target of the enemy. If you're, if you're say, 18 to, to 30 years old, obviously outside that as well, but in those, that range specifically, the enemy wants to get your mind. <laughs> the enemy wants to, to put seeds in your brain to, to lean his way, to lean away from God. And, uh, you know, it's been going on forever, but there's been a real um, huge surge in people who are deconstructing. And I don't want to bash deconstruction because, you know, there are reasons to deconstruct a lot of things. Um, but there are a lot of young people, you know, that they're looking at their faith. They grew up in church and they, they, they're looking at their faith. They're looking at the church and they're deconstructing the church, taking it apart, picking it apart. And again, I'm not saying that's totally bad. I, you know, I think there needs to be some uh, scrutinizing of the things we do, our methods, and, and even even here. I mean, you know, it's it's good. We do that all the time as a staff. But but then then scrutinizing, deconstructing our faith, and that and that that happens a lot. It happens to a lot of people when they hit 18, 19, 20 years old. But it seems like there's a surge of people who are deconstructing instead of just taking it apart and putting it back together again, and then finding their faith. The enemy wants to get in there in that moment while you're deconstructing, while you're taking it apart and, and take away some essential parts. To where when you put it back together, it's not what God intended. It's something different. It's like God, but it's not God. There's a scripture where Paul tells us in the gospel in the New Testament where he says, uh, in the end times, people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny his power. And I think that that's, that fits this modern age, this postmodern age is what it's really called, where people are deconstructing and they're taking apart the, the gospel. They're taking apart the Christianity altogether. And then when they put it back together, it, it looks good to them. And they're like, all right, I can do this, but it's missing the key ingredient, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's missing the power of God. And so I'm, I'm throwing this out there just, it's not, it's, it's, it's intro. I'm still in the intro to my sermon here, but throwing it out there, if you're if you're 20 something, you're deconstructing or you're you're, you're analyzing. You're, and that's good. That's healthy. You do that, but don't miss out. That's why this series is so important. Don't miss out on what the presence, the Spirit of God, is saying to you about your life and about your uh, relationship with God. And so uh, we we did this series surrounding that kind of thought process, like. Like, who needs to hear this? And we all need to hear it, but it's specifically the 20-somethings. Because as our society trends more towards a diverse view of God, you know, who God is, who God isn't, uh, there is rising conflict between the church and the world as to what truth is. 
as to what truth is. We see that in the New Testament writings of Paul and some of the other authors of the New Testament where, they, where they're trying to, to confront these philosophies that are flying around. We think sometimes that it's just in the modern era, you know, in our era because of the internet, but it's been going around since the beginning, even back to the Garden of Eden. There was, there was no internet, but there was, there was deception. <laughs> and, and the serpents crawled up and said, did God really say? So God's always been questions in the brains of man. And it, and it happened in the early church. It's happening even again today. And so we want to be aware of that. Our key scripture for this series has been in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, see to it that no one takes you captive. I want you to think about yourself, man, especially if you're a 20-something here. Think about yourself. See to it. This is what God would say through Paul to you. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, we, we threw up a graph uh, the last few weeks to kind of illustrate, and, and let me explain this real quick for you if you haven't seen it yet, but um, it's, it's, it's evident to us today as we discern spiritual matters today, it's evident to us today, just like it was in the early church, just like it was since the beginning of mankind, that there are, as the scripture said, elemental spirits or spirits that are not God. You can call them demons. You can call them principalities. They're spirits, though. Let's just call them that today. Spirits that are not the Holy Spirit that inform Cultural things inform society, and that's why we put spirits at the top. And you kind of see it's it's a it's a cycle. But spirits inform philosophy. We spent a few weeks ago. We spent time talking about philosophies, as the scripture says here, human philosophies. And sometimes we the spirits all our philosophies. And here we are on the internet. I've done it, and we buy into these philosophies, and we're like, yeah, no, I I bear witness with that, and we start you know beating that drum, and that's our philosophy. But if it's not a philosophy that's informed by the Spirit of God, then where does it lead? Does it lead to righteousness? Does it lead to intimacy with God? Or does it lead to self-worship? And that, that's what the spirits that are informing philosophy want. They want to deviate our trajectory. They do not want us heading towards God. They want us to head a little off course so that we don't end up in the presence of God. So spirits of this world inform philosophy, and philosophy informs society. Societal trends come from, from philosophies that are informed by spirits. So ultimately, the spirits informing philosophy inform society, which informs our politics, interesting enough. Politics listens to the societal trends, and politics then begins to influence us. And then, of course, we believe that even us in the church, we're inundated with information when we're outside the church. We're inundated with information inside the church from each other, as well as from all the media sources. And good gracious, do we have enough media sources? We're, we're connected, aren't we? We're highly connected. And so we're informed. But what is that? Where is that coming from? All that informing that we are getting as we're highly connected. Ultimately, it's coming from the spirits of the world that are informing philosophy, that are informing society, that are informing politics, that are informing us. And we want to be informed by the Spirit of God. That's the point of this message right there. And I could quit right now and we could go home, but I won't. But you can see, 
Are we being informed by the spirits of the world? Are we being informed by the spirit of God? And that's important to discern. It's important to, to confront and, and to say, okay, I need to admit I have been. Okay, so let me balance that out just a little bit. Because it can sound like I'm saying we need to be separate from the world. We need to just leave the world, get away from the world, and go live in a commune. And that's not at all what I'm saying. That's kind of weird. We are in the world. We are in the world. We walk in the world. We work in the world. We play in the world. We, we, we buy, purchase. We, we live in the world. Nothing wrong with that. We're not of the world. Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. We do not, the fabric, fabric of our very being, the philosophies that we hold to should not be worldly philosophies because they're informed by the spirits that are against God. They should be informed by the Holy Spirit. But pastor, pastor, how do you know the difference? I'm glad you asked. It is discerning. We must discern the spirits. And so last week we talked about societal conflict. We talked about philosophical conflicts. Um, today we're going to talk about a new conflict that uh, I believe is going to be interesting. Uh, it's very simple, but very profound, very complex. Um, one thing I want to point out before we jump in is last week I, I mentioned this, and, and if you weren't here, you would have missed it. But when we talked about philosophy and we talked about societal conflict, um, there is a philosophical element in the context of the overall arching philosophy. There's a, there's a segment called ethics, the philosophy of ethics. Ethics are what's right and wrong what's right and wrong. And we all have that to some degree. We all have, even at a young age, we imbibe the ethics of our surroundings, maybe our family of origin, or even as we begin to have friends. And, and you know, as, as we age and we get in our teens and then in our 20s, we're, we are imbibing the ethics of our peers and, and what's right and wrong. You know, we, we determine what's right and wrong. It's that, it's that element we often call conscience. It's, it's inside of us, and we're, we're, we're conscientious of the things we say and do based on our ethics. It's all determined by our ethics. And so what's shaping our ethics is very important. Is it the Spirit of God? Is it the Spirit of this world? Because it influences every part of our life. It Im impacts our relationships. It impacts our, our career path. Our ethics are important, but it also affects our politics. There are two controversial things. Growing up, I always heard this. You know, there's two things you don't want to talk about, politics and religion, because <laughs> they're going to be controversial. Well, today we're going to talk about both of them. So y'all pray for me. Um, why are we talking about this? Well, I've, I've, I've alluded to it already, but I believe this. Uh, you know, Northwood is a generational church. Um, we, we want to make sure we're, no matter what age we are, we're doing due diligence to hand off something that's worth carrying on to the next generation. And I mentioned the 20-somethings in here, and I know, you know, we've got teens. A lot of our teens are at the student retreat. They're wrapping up the student retreat this morning and our youth leaders, but, but we've got a lot of 20-somethings in here. And I, I want to tell you this. I, I want to do my best to, to, to teach you things that are going to matter when you hit the wall, when you hit hard times, when you hit struggles, when the world challenges you, when the enemy and the spirits of this world challenge you. I want to give you things that matter. I want to give you things that that hold, hold you anchored to Christ. Um, and, I, and I believe as a church, that's our heart. We, we, we don't just live for ourselves. Am I right? We don't just live for ourselves. We don't just, we don't just feed ourselves the word. All right, I'm stronger now. All right, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. All right, all right. 
No, we want to give that away. We're a generational church. And because of that, you know, we want to raise up the next generation to be able to approach every aspect of, of their life with a biblical lens, whether that's relationships, morality, philosophy, or, of course, politics, as we're going to talk about today. We want you to have a biblical lens to be able to look at, because I'm telling you, the spirits of this world, through media, through our peers who have been influenced by that, are going to tell us a lot of things, and we could just go just a dozen directions if we don't have a biblical lens to keep us and guide us. Um, ultimately, I, I do want you as a 20-something, whether you're a college student, I know we've got some college students, and you're a high school student, uh, college student, or you're, you're in your career, uh, young marrieds, I want you to be able to represent Jesus well and also engage in discussions and, and have a footing to not feel off balance. So let's talk about politics for just a little bit. Um, the definition of politics, I cooked this down, we cooked this down as a staff. Politics is the process of decision-making and power dynamics within a nation. Now, politics make it to all levels of, of you know, national government, there's state government, there's local government, uh, there's politics and a lot of other things. There's politics in churches, there's politics in businesses. But today we're, we're dialing into a national, you know, the nation and politics in our state and local levels. But politics, it's the process of decision-making and power dynamics within, as I said, within a nation. So government and the system that we live in, government is responsible for implementing and enforcing public policies and laws and regulations, ultimately to protect and provide for the people. That's the goal of government. Now, I know some of you are out there laughing in your, in your head, saying, that ain't what I see happening, but that's the goal. That's the idea behind government. So here in the U.S., um, ultimately, it is to secure and protect the rights of the people, as our De Declaration of Independence says, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what the goal of government is. That's what the purpose of government is in the system that we live in. Now, our role as citizens in our response to government is to be informed, right? To not be ignorant, to be informed. Also, we have the right to vote, which is something not many countries in the world have, but we do have the right to vote, and to be functioning members of society. And that's a broad declaration right there in and of itself. But to be active and functioning members of society, and then finally, to obey the laws of the land, right? And that's the old downer. Oh, yeah, i got to obey the laws of the land. Um, but I believe this is where the conflict, this is called the political conflict today, the conflict lies. <coughs> our laws in our land are shaped by the ethics of the society that we live in. We talked about ethics which are informed by either the spirit of the world, as we said, spirit, spirit of the world, or the spirit of God. So the laws are shaped by the ethics, or they're designed to meet the ethics of the society, that it, the society that's either shaped, uh, informed by the spirits of the world, or the spirit of God. And then those laws, once implemented, shape the ethics of the society. You see the circle there. Did that, did that make sense? Did y'all get that? So ethics shape laws and laws shape ethics for the next generation because it becomes the cultural norm. 
And we just embrace it. Oh, that's the way it is. That's been going on for a long time. So we know this about laws. Laws either prohibit or allow behaviors. Some laws inhibit. You can't, you know, drive past the speed limit. That's the law. Or you, or you get a, a citation. So they either prohibit or they allow certain behaviors. There's laws that give freedoms to us, and they're good laws. But then there's bad laws. There are bad laws. There have been bad laws in our past. Um, in the past, there were laws in the U.S. that were systematically racist, and they represented and shaped society's ethics. There were laws that were put on the books that were shaped by ethics, that were shaped by the spirits of this world. You got that? That once these laws were implemented, they began to shape society's ethics. We talked a little bit about this last week, but one of the laws, you know, if you go back in, in U.S. history, was the laws that allowed slavery. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion. We're not going to get into that today. It's not our topic, but there's been a lot of discussion over the years. I've heard so many. I've argued both sides of this, actually, because my ethics were being shaped. But um, there is a lot of debate on why the Civil War took place. And I'm not, I'm not going to say too much because some of y'all get mad and leave. <laughs> but I, I love Mississippi, y'all. I've lived in Mississippi more than I lived outside of Mississippi, right? And so Mississippi's my home. And um, I mean, I, I, you cut me, I believe Mississippi. But I'm going to tell you, if you go back in Mississippi's history, as with another, uh, many, many, many other states, when the Civil War was taking place, there were letters that were written by the leaders of Mississippi that prolifically said that slavery should exist. And they were willing to live and die for that. And if you, if you didn't know this, go back and research a little bit and text me. I'll send you the documents. My goodness, there were a people, and, I, and I'm not shocked by this, but it's just, it's heartbreaking. There were people that, that were believed that it was, it, was, it was the right thing to do to keep men enslaved. And they lived, they fought for it. That's what the Civil War was about, y'all. It was slavery. And I know, again, I know you can sit here, Master Mike, but this, but that. I know, I've read all that. I've even been on your side and debated it before. And then it's like, cook it all down. So there were bad laws that were, that were put into place because of people's ethics that were informed by the spirits of this world. And then those laws, once in place, shaped the next generation's ethics. And they believed it. They bought in. 50% of the population of Mississippi in 1964 was slaves because Mississippi believed they had an ethic that accepted slavery because the laws said it was okay. And the laws were formed because of the ethics of other people that were informed by the spirits of this world. Did I make my point on that? Does that make sense, Millie? All right. Some of y'all are still mad. Uh, that's all right. Deal with God. Right, so that was, but then the laws right, got struck down and slavery was abolished. And then to make my point even clearer, more laws were put into place, which should be totally insulting to us as believers. But they're called in society, they're called Jim Crow laws that, that were put in place. Arnie, you and I are best friends. But if we, if, we, if we tried to be best friends back in even 1950, we couldn't drink out of the same water fountain. 
because of Jim Crow laws. Laws, laws, y'all, laws that were shaped by people's ethics. People believed that it was just to make this law that me and Artie couldn't drink out of the same water fountain. Oh, and it's just one of many laws. I mean, you, you know, uh, my, Rod, you and Mariah, you're, you're, Af- you're African, you're black, she's white. That would have been a crime 100 years ago. I love you, bro. That's my son right there. I mean, he is my son-in-law, y'all. I love that man. And my daughter loves that man. And that would have been a crime 100 years ago because of laws that were put into place because of people's ethics that were informed by the spirits of this world, not the spirit of God. Fortunately, those laws have also been struck down because of other people's ethics that were not informed by the spirits of this world. And I'm not saying that everything was pure in that process, but those were bad laws. Even if we fast forward to today, laws that just, just this year, the abortion was basically overturned. Now, that, that wasn't necessarily a law, but it was an opinion based on a law that back in 1973, was, it was pushed out. It was, abortion is, is right. It's legal based on even the Constitution, which is the law of the land. And, and, and it, it was informed by the spirits of this world. It's okay to murder babies. And, and, and now it's a common thing. Everybody, you can do it now. And, and people fought against it. The church fought against it for 50 years. But people embraced it, and it became the ethic of people. It became acceptable. There are people today in the church that fight for abortion because they accepted the ethics of the world that were informed by the spirits of the world. It almost became law, but it didn't. Unfortunately, this year, it was overturned by the Supreme Court. But who knows what happens next year, right? Because that is the process Ethics inform laws, and laws inform ethics. If our ethics are informed by the spirits of this world and not by the Spirit of God, the laws that shape ethics are going to influence us to follow the spirits of this world. So I want to jump back to the New Testament church. Has this been around a while, or is it just common to us? Well, we look in the Bible, and we see in the New Testament church that they had the same ethical conflicts because the same spirits were informing them then that are informing us today. They had different politics and a different political context. The climate was different in the first century church. Rome was a republic until B.C. 27, um, a republic, which means that they had uh, senators similar to our Senate that made the laws and oversaw the, you know, the governing body of the land. But then in 27 B.C., um, the, the first Caesar was put into place, our emperor was put into place, or, or took over, basically. It was, uh, which we, we know as uh, Augustus, Caesar Augustus. He was the first emperor of Rome. Basically, it was a military dictatorship. So you can imagine being a Christian. Why are we talking about this? Being a Christian in the first century church would have been a little bit different than what we experience today in the United States. In the first century church, now we have an emperor. We're in Jesus's day. We just got born again. We're in Paul's day. And we have an emperor. And the emperor's 
it was Augustus and Tiberius, and then Nero, when Paul was writing letters to the church, writing letters to us, our Bible that, that we read in the New Testament, the epistles, he was writing those letters during under the reign in the Roman Empire of Nero. Nero, now Nero was a very charismatic leader. He was well-loved by many people. He was artsy, so you know he was all about you know performances and arts, but he was cray-cray, man. I'm telling you, he was, you go back and you read, he was... He was jacked up, but people loved him, and he would have gotten a lot of accolades, but this was the guy that was the leader of Rome, which the Roman Empire was half of the modern world. It was known as, it would have been, it would have been the superpower of the day, very much like the United States. One of the things that Nero is known for is, uh, at some point, was that he would take Christians and arrest, have them arrested. He would impale them on poles, and he would cover them with oil, and he would light them and use them as lanterns for his garden. It gives you an idea. He was cray-cray. But to be a Christian in the first century church, you would, you, would hate, you would hate the emperor. You would hate even the Roman army and the government. And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 13. Paul writes to the church, okay, in Romans chapter 13. 13. I'm going to read several scriptures here. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. <laughs> For there is no authority except from God, and those who that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, I believe he's saying, from God. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Again, I can't stress enough, Christians in the first century would have been under Nero. Burning Christians on the stake, bro. Throwing them to the lions in the arena for entertainment. Paul's writing to the church. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Wow. Wow. This is a conscious level thing, an ethics level thing. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending this to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Could you imagine reading this letter in the church? I mean, I, I really, I, I have to, uh, to read it to you. <laughs> In our modern era and knowing what's going on in politics around us, and I'm reading this to you, and I know it's right, but I know the struggle. There's a tension. Could you imagine in Paul's day with this Emperor Nero and the, the, the people who, who worked for him and they carried out his, his, his wishes? I just feel like we'll kill some Christians today. And they would go and do it. And you're a Christian. And you're trying to love God. And here comes Nero's army to take you out, to burn you at the stake, to throw you to the lions. And Paul writes this letter to us as the church. And he says, 
No, you submit to those governmental authorities. But Paul, but Paul, no. You submit to the governmental authorities. We should obey government. And I know there's always that caveat, that thing. But, but Pastor Mike, what if we should obey government as long as it does not cause us to disobey God? That messes with me because there are some things that I hold to that I don't know that they're obeying God or not, but I don't necessarily agree with. So am I going to do it or am I going to just do my own thing and hope I don't get caught? Hmm. Hmm. And everybody's uncomfortable right now. It's something we wrestle with. It's a tension. Maybe God was snickering whenever he told Paul to write this to us. I don't know. But this was the political context of the first century church. Let's jump fast forward to our day. Modern the modern political context. We don't live in a, a, a militaristic, you know, emperor-led society. We live in a constitutional republic, which is a government of laws. Uh, citizens democratically elect representatives who are responsible to the constitution, which is the law of the land, right? So we have, we have these rails. We have these safeguards in our nations. And, of course, these representatives, we know, do create laws uh, that should that provide governance for the people. And we, as the citizens, have the right and responsibility to express our beliefs. We have the right and the responsibility to express our beliefs through our voices and our voting. So we do have a voice and we do have voting. We have ways to influence the government in our day, in our system. Um, but, but I'm saying all that. At the same time, let me, let me turn the page and say we have to be careful that we don't look to a political system or a politician to create a just society. Let me, let me real quick go back to spirits, the same spirits that were informing in the garden and in the first century church are informing today. The ethics of our society, which then speak to our philosophies and, our, and ultimately to our politics, which creates our laws. And so when we look to a politician or a political system, as good as people would argue this is, we have the best political system in the world ever, right? The Constitution of the United States is the, it, it is undisputably the greatest document for a government that's ever been presented. And we live under that umbrella. We, we do. We have the best, the best of the best. Yet at the same time, we have to be careful not to look to that to create a just society because there are still spirits speaking to the ethics that speak to the laws, that create the laws that speak to the ethics of our society. I think at the end of the day, we seek to create laws to fix problems that sin has created. We, 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 do, we do. We think if we can come up with the right political system or the right candidate or the right even political party, then we have the right results. But it's not always that way because the problem's a little bit deeper. Mankind has tried everything. Mankind has, try, mankind has tried everything. And the same result has come. It's pain, it's greed, it's death, it's destruction, it's tyranny. Because laws can't change behavior 
Laws can change behavior. Is this on the screen? Yeah, good. Laws can change behavior, but they cannot transform hearts. We need laws. But there's something deeper. Something deeper. I'm going to give you a couple of walkaways. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a season of, of inundation of politics. Yeah, come on up, bro. Uh, we're in a season of being inundated with, with politics. This next year is going to just get ramped up. Right now, we've got an election coming up. Um, and then next year is going to be the presidential election. And my goodness, the, the, the propaganda is going to fly. All this information is going to be out there. And we, we need to know what to do in the context of that, right? As believers, how do we represent God properly as believers? And, and, and I'm going to give you a couple things. This is, this is general. It's not specific, but it, it can help. Um, I think, I think one of the things that we miss, and, and remember I started this by talking to the 20-somethings, but let me, let me help you. Let me coach you a little bit. We, we've got to discern which spirit is influencing our politics. Which spirit? Is it the spirit of this world or is it the spirit of God? And I, I don't, I don't want to sound like that's just an easy thing. Like I don't want to say, Carly, just do it, all right? I mean, come on, just do it, you know, because that it's, but it is, it, it, it does, if you're rooted in Jesus, if you're rooted in the word of God, which I can speak to you because I know you are, not, you're not perfect. I'm not going to set you up on a pedestal. But I, I do know that your, your, your mom and dad raised you in the context of Christianity. And so you have that. Now, I'm, you might be deconstructing, and, and, and most likely you are at some level. But you're just trying to find out what is, what is it that you're going to believe in. What are you going to give your life for, right? What hill are you going to die on? And so you've got to discern. You've got to discern. We've got to discern. As we lean into a political opinion, we've got to discern what What's informing that? Is it the spirit of the world or is it the spirit of God? And, and the best way I can say this is, is, is lean into Jesus and say, God, is this, is this from you? Does this represent you well? Because I'm, if I'm going to buy into this political influence, does this represent you well? And discern the spirits. Again, this whole series has been about this, but the spirit of the world wants to deviate us from, from hearing from the spirit of God. So discern which spirit is influencing your political views. Number two, understand the philosophies that inform your politics. It's very similar, but discerning the spirit. And then the next level is understanding the, the philosophies because there's always a philosophy behind what we believe. You know, we just talked about the abortion thing. There's a philosophy behind each side. And there's, there's people that would die for either side because they bought into the philosophy that backs up their belief, their ethic concerning that topic. And so we, we, need, to, we need to understand where does this philosophy come from? Why am I so passionate about it? Or why am I so angry at it? Where does this philosophy come from? Number three is adjust your political views to a biblical ethic. We all could probably use a little adjustment. As we read the word of God, it should convict us. It should read us and cause us to to, to adjust our view of politics. You know, I, I think about when I, when I hear national level politics or even state level or local level politics and I hear, I try to listen to the heart. What's the heart behind the message? And I don't always get it right, but I, I do try because I want to I, I know the philosophy behind it. I want to understand the philosophy behind. And sometimes, sometimes I'll be honest with you and, and you would most likely agree, but 
Sometimes it's just a bunch of words, man. Dude, man, I get critical sometimes. I'm like, man, you're just bumping your gums together. Come on now. Give me something to hold on to. Where's the philosophy behind what you're representing, you're saying? And I'm only saying this as believers. We, if, if we're just tossed to and fro by all the political opinions, man, we're going to be confused and chaotic. And we're going to find ourselves oftentimes aligned with the spirits of this world. And we, and we didn't mean to, but now we're, we're against the agenda of God and the spirit of God. And so we want to we be discerning and then understanding of the philosophies behind those, those, those philosophies that inform our ethics, but then also be willing to adjust. I right, hold up. I may not, I may not be needing to beat this drum like I have been because it doesn't line up with God. I, I, I want you to, to hear this. Let the Bible influence your politics, not the other way around. A couple more just to throw in here. Submit to governing authorities because that's what the scripture said. Submit to the governing authorities. It's the right thing to do. If we're being informed by the Spirit of God, we're going to hear the Spirit and the conviction, and we're going to choose to do the right thing. It, it, it may not be what we agree with, but it is what God says. I said it earlier, but I believe we should obey God before any political leader, right? We're not going to compromise our integrity with God if the law were to come down. And I, and I think back, I would like to think we wouldn't, so many men and women obeyed the laws and honored the laws 100 years ago that divided. That was not God. And we see that now. But we want to be aware of that going forward. If a law were to come down that doesn't honor God first, we have to disobey God. No, no, we obey God. And then finally is to pray, to pray. First Timothy 2 says, first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, then he dials in for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. We pray. So Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for the President of the United States of America. We pray for our President. God, we may not agree. We may have philosophical differences, ethical differences, but we obey your word and we pray for the protection of our president, his staff, the vice president, the Senate, the Congress that represent us, the judicial branch. We pray, God, you would protect these men and women who represent in our government. We lift them up to you in Jesus' name. We ask God that you would bless them, give them wisdom, surround them with godly men and women, store up intercessors to pray for them. We pray for our local, uh, our state government, our governor and the, the team that leads in Jackson. We pray, God, for the local officials. We pray, God, that your spirit would move on their hearts and lead them and guide them with all wisdom, that we may live a peaceful life. God, a life where we can preach the gospel freely, that men and women can be saved. We pray, God, that your spirit would move on our nation, our state, our counties that we represent here, our local governments, that your spirit would move. God, we pray that your spirit would move on our hearts. Even here today, we take a moment, we pray. Father, we repent. We repent where we've allowed selfishness to 
cause us to sin against you. We repent for allowing the spirits of this world to inform us, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us discernment as we go forward, especially in this political season. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see right and wrong, truth that matters, that you would inform us, that you would inform us, and that we would glorify God in our lives. And finally, Father, I pray for those in this room that might be far from God. God, we live in a nation that allows us to preach Jesus. And when we preach Jesus, we're preaching what the Bible says, that it is good news, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we as sinners were separated from God, and God sent his son, his one and only son, to die on our behalf. And because of his death on the cross and then him rising again, we have the opportunity by faith to say yes to Jesus, to accept his free gift of salvation. I pray for those who are in the room today that are far from God. I ask God that you would move on their hearts. And I pray, God, that they would have the faith to say yes to Jesus.